And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Our focus of attention is going to be about the future of freedom in broadcasting. We have an amazing guest, but this is something that I'm very concerned about. I see, and I'm pretty disturbed, that the big tech companies are just removing people that they don't like, that they don't agree with, just taking them down. And I'm sure it's only a matter of time before that happens on radio or TV or newspapers. And Freedom of speech is so important. People are saying, ah, oh, you know, we got to police hate speech. We can't have hate speech, hate speech. Well, guess what? Then it's not free speech then. It is only selected speech. And if somebody is talking about something that you find revulsive or you don't agree with, that's fine. You don't have to listen to them. But if you go after them and you go after their right to speak their truth and to speak what they believe, you are committing suicide because you are, in essence, putting a muzzle on your own face because it will eventually come back to you. I believe that now more than ever... People in broadcasting, journalists, from people all walks of life, whether you're in media or not, you need to stand as hard as you can, as prominent as you can for freedom of speech. Because without the freedom of speech, there is no progress that is made whatsoever. And also, life is very boring. You want to let a couple people decide for you what is acceptable, what's not? What kind of world is that? Let us begin tonight's show. It is a great honor to welcome back to our show Michael Harrison, founder and publisher of Talkers, which is the leading publication of the broadcast industry. It is a publication that will tell you everything that's happening in talk radio. I think it's very important right now. Learn more about Michael by going to talkers.com. Michael, welcome back to our show. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me back. I love the show. I love the concept, and it's really fun to be a part of it. Thank you so much. Um, I wish we could be meeting today under more favorable circumstances, but it seems that tyranny is taking root faster than I could have ever imagined. And the fact that it wasn't just the fact that they're purging people on social media, but now various broadcast industries are trying to stifle free speech. So what is your perspective on this thing? And what do you see for the immediate short and long-term future of freedom, at least on radio? Well, I I, I hope that you um, don't uh, take offense at what I'm saying. And I certainly am not looking to have a wild and woolly talk radio argument with you. And you might even be surprised at my position on this, but I don't think it's as dire as you're as you're expressing it to be. Awesome. Um, I, okay. Good. I don't see I, I don't see this as an assault on free speech. I see this as free speech in action, because social media has the right to purge anything it wants to from its platform. 
The First Amendment only protects citizens from censorship or political retribution or being accused of a crime or imprisonment or fine or any of these terrible things by the government. Uh, it, actually, the government protects uh, Facebook, protects Twitter, and uh, protects Ryan McCormick to be able to um, do anything he wants to on his own private platform. In other words, the free, uh, Twitter is an extension of their free speech. So it, it would be like, some, how would you feel if, if the government said, uh, you have to put certain people on your show because the First Amendment demands that you do that? We used to call that the Fairness Doctrine, and we considered it to be uh, uh, antithetical to uh, the First Amendment. So here's, here's the important point to begin this conversation is that my main political platform as publisher of talkers and, and being in the broadcast industry is not left, not right, not Democrat, not Republican, but rather support of the First Amendment and free speech. And in order to do that, I think that we have to have a good understanding of what it is before we go and wind up promoting the other side that we don't agree with because we're, we're angry that, oh my gosh, look, they're, they're shutting down people we like. Um, they have the right to do that. Well, when it comes to social media, I also want to point out that it wasn't just the conservatives. They purged a lot of people on the left on, on Twitter and Facebook. They also shut down Dr. Ron Paul, who's a very passionate advocate for peace. And I know people are saying, well, okay, well, this is a private company. It can do whatever they want. But the technology for which these private companies were allowed to sustain themselves was all put together by the public interest. I mean, did not did not the public interest and taxpayer dollars go to founding and creating the the internet, which, is my understanding, is a public utility? And they, we have the FCC that is supposedly regulating public airwaves, and we have a major broadcast company telling the broadcasters, "Well, at this point, you should be careful, and I don't want you talking about any of the stuff." So that's why I get concerned about it. If, if a private company created a platform for which they were allowing people to express themselves, and it funded that platform completely with their own money, I would have no problem with that. But the fact is that the internet and radio and some of these other platforms that have had government funding, which has come from taxpayer dollars, means that I think I feel like it's completely different. I don't know if you agree or disagree. Well, I disagree because uh, you're, you're you're distorting you're distorting the uh, the issue. Um, the the internet may have uh, originally been invented and created by some kind of combination of public money and who knows what. The internet still remains very mysterious in terms of how it operates and how it actually came to be. I'm not I'm not saying it's a conspiracy theory. I'm just saying is that I can't go. Oh yeah, right. It started with taxation or it started with public funds. The internet. Um, uh, evolved the way a lot of things evolve, but to try to say that the internet is somehow a public utility um, when it is full of private uh, corporations and private enterprise and private businesses, and you and I could, you know, when we finish this conversation, we can go into business and start our own online radio station. We could charge people money to advertise on it. We can um, invite President Trump to uh, put his. Uh, his messages on it. I mean, there, there really is a tremendous amount of freedom attached to the internet. So again, uh, we're just talking about people that start their own private platforms, having the right to put on those platforms, what they deem 
fits within their expression. Okay. It, 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 so I, I, I just think that um, there's reason to be upset if, in fact, you feel people have been unfairly treated by big tech. And certainly it's true that big tech has developed enormous power beyond anything we ever imagined as the internet was coming into being. But here we are now in the third decade of the 21st century. We're deep into the digital age and we're coming to terms with all of that. Um, but I do not believe that um, anybody is obligated to put anybody on their platform that they don't want to because of the First Amendment. It's because of the First Amendment that they have the freedom not to endorse or support something with which they disagree, even if they think it's bad for their business. And you can't blame you can't blame radio companies for caring about what's good for their business. They're the ones that are stuck with the debt and the obligation and responsibility for the platform. So uh, if you want to talk about the spirit of free speech and shutting people down and not listening to them and all of that um, and not engaging in an honest dialogue, I think that's a very legitimate topic. But I can't go along and say, oh, yeah. Tyranny has now taken over the country and free speech is dead because Twitter um, has canceled President Trump's account. Th that to me is. Oh, no, I wouldn't even trigger that. I would say that I think it's, things have been happening for a while. I thought when Parler was shut down and they were to platform for a number of uh, suddenly, I thought that was a little, when these big tech companies ganged up on them. I thought that was pretty awful. And I wonder if there are going to be other websites and other shows that are being hosted by various companies that may be the platform in the future because they don't share a perspective that is agreeable with the company that is hosting them or is agreeable with what is considered a mainstream perspective. And speaking of mainstream perspectives, do you find right now, or at least maybe in the past year, that while I guess people still have the, the right to, to speak their minds, that there is a bit of a pressure to conform to a certain narrative where if you speak your mind, and say, for example, you are completely out, um, speak differently, like, a, like an Alex Jones, or you have someone else who has a perspective so far to mainstream, that in some way, shape, or form, that diminishes your ability to earn a living within this industry, or does that make you maybe a little bit more toxic to the company that will have you on the air? Is that a bit of a more of a liability or is there an inherent pressure, you think, for broadcasters to not deviate too far away from a selected uh, conformity or comfortableness as far as topics go? It's always been that way and it always will be. Not to recognize it as naive. The, uh, many people have not gotten jobs in the last four years under Trump um, because they weren't supportive enough of Trump. For some of the platforms that that exist, um, it goes in all directions. DJs uh, that want to play records that don't fit within the country music format, <laughs> or the or the soft rock format, will be thrown off the air if they slip a record on that um, might not fit the format. Um, all all of media, especially entertainment media, or especially quasi entertainment media, where the fuzzy line between news and entertainment kind of come up against each other, have always been regulated and restricted uh, through a thing that we call targeting. And here's the important part, if I'm going to bring anything to this discussion sure. that the, the listeners should know, is that we are getting deeper and deeper into an era in the commercial media where audiences are targeted for their pre-existing ideas for, for what they already believe. And then the media companies 
are just telling them what they want to hear. Telling them what they want to hear, as opposed to putting out the news, being objective, being truly uh, inclusive of all different ideas, letting people think for themselves. All of that is exaggeration. They basically are giving people what they think they want, trying to map out strategies and positioning where they'll have a niche and then building upon that niche and catering to what they call the core. This is going on. And, and that's why people are losing jobs because if they don't fit the narrative, whatever the narrative is, the same thing goes on in, on, on the left. The same thing goes on. in if you don't think public radio, public television have their own narrative, uh, it, it's, it's, it's rampant. And it has to do with targeting audiences and then serving up what they want, cherry picking the stories, uh, giving people a narrative that fits their worldview, creates what's called an echo chamber, a bubble. And this is very much the result of the modern era of communications. And I hope that we have a chance to talk a little bit about just how uh, intense this is becoming well, now that we have this democratized internet and digital media. Well, let's go into it. I mean, what do you think would be some of the challenges? How, do you, how would you foresee this evolving or playing out the next couple of years? Well, it, it, the, the challenge is for us to maintain a common culture. The challenge for a nation, especially one as unwieldy as the United States with so many hundreds of millions of people with different walks of life, geographies, religions, ethnicities, points of view, politics, uh, and uh, financial interests, to be able to get along without killing each other, uh, without a common culture where we, where we all, you know, the, the, the Super Bowl cannot be the only common culture we have. But when everybody retreats to their own tribe, because there's something for everybody, and you can create a worldview that is completely tailored to what you want, that fractionalizes a common culture, and nations are based upon common culture. So, um, we have to deal with issues of free speech and how the new tech, how the new democratized technology fits the tenets of the First Amendment. But even deeper, how can we in the United States of America start to find common ground so that we can begin to identify with each other as human beings and understand where we're coming from and be able to at least agree on what the latest set of facts are? But when, when people can come at each other with completely alternate views of reality, it makes it very difficult to run a country. So the new technology that has led to social media, that's led to smartphones, that's led to instantaneous connection with whomever and whatever you want immediately, uh, which is almost like we're a bunch of mystics walking around with crystal balls. Our smartphones are like oracles, <laughs> magic. <laughs> you know, We're like, like no. shamans. Um, here in 2021, uh, we've got to figure out a way to catch up in terms of our legal system, catch up in terms of how government regulates these things, and catch up as how we all find a certain common understanding of who we are as a people. Because changes in technology create changes in sociology, and the changes in our communications technology, I would go so far as to say in the past 25 years, have rewired our human nervous systems. We are now thinking differently, communicating differently, and thus being different than we, we used to be. 
and these changes are intensifying. They're not modifying. They're getting even more profound. And this is the big challenge going forward. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'll tell you what, I really miss talkers this year. I mean, I, I love going there and sitting in the room and talking to producers and listening to the hosts, you know, all share their wisdom. It's probably my favorite event for this year, and I hope it returns next year. Uh, mm. One of the things I was thinking about is seeing how you have a, some dominant personalities like Sean Hannity's or Mark Levin's and other people in the, the broadcast industry. Do you think that in the coming years that the radio personalities themselves will become bigger or more influential than the companies, the broadcast companies which they originated from? Because it seems that some people have a way of connecting with individuals and they have millions of followers. So if, if I'm a radio host and I'm on a broadcast network and I've got like 40 million followers and that broadcast network themselves maybe only has about five or six million, is that radio host more powerful than the entity or the broadcast company that hosts them? And do you think that more people will probably go into independent broadcasting as opposed to um, working with a broadcast company? What a great question. That's Thank the you. key. That, that's, that's the multi-billion dollar question. And the question is rhetorical. Um, I'll try to answer it with my own opinion, but the question stands as being larger than my opinion. In other words, my opinion is not smart enough uh, um, or prescient enough to be able to give you an answer that I would say you can take to the bank, because that's a question that we're dealing with right now. There's a very complex relationship between what I call the platform and what I call the talent. You know, the um, the platform is the network. The platform is the radio station. The platform is the newspaper. The talent is the person who's on it, using it as a stage. And um, we're going through a transition now in terms of how platforms operate. For the most part, when people come to me in the business and they say, what should I do? Should I leave the company? It's not as good as I want it to be. Should I start my own show? Should I start my own podcast? I always say, be very careful leaving the platform because the platform provides you with a stability, a prestige, a credibility, and an audience that you might not get otherwise. However, we are in a time right now where every listening moment is called a listening event. Uh, you cannot just get on a radio station today or get on a network and say, well, they've already got all these listeners. They're going to be there for me, as it was in the old days when you got a job at a big radio station. And now, wow, all these people are listening. You've got to generate listenership constantly because the competition is so fierce. So um, a person could go to a platform that only has 50,000 audience and turn it into 100,000 by virtue of how good they are. Sometimes the platform gains by the talent. It's a two-way street. We don't know which way it's going to play out. Plus, a lot of these talents that start their own independent networks, they're going to be the man. Because many of the things that we have right now that are the giants of technology and platforms didn't even exist 30 years ago. Whoever heard of Google? Whoever heard of Twitter? Whoever heard of Facebook? You know, I, I came up during the days of ABC, NBC, <laughs> the New York Times, Time Warner, you know, all of, all of these big companies. Now we have a whole different array of companies. So we're going through a fluid transition, but it comes down to the relationship between platform and performer, and that is a it's a wild, it's a wild relationship. Look, you could be playing the violin. You could be the world's greatest violinist and be playing with a, a hat on the sidewalk, you know, for passersby to throw in their coins on the street in front of Carnegie Hall. And people will walk by you and some of them may listen to you and some may throw money at you. And then, you know, five 
thousand feet away or five hundred feet away is the building of Carnegie Hall. There's a box office and there's a stage. You could be playing on that stage and have far fewer people even see you and make a ton more money and have a ton more prestige because they figured out box office, how to monetize through their platform of prestige, Carnegie Hall, the same exact performer. And that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about the sidewalk in front of Carnegie Hall or the stage in Carnegie Hall. Now, maybe that's not a good analogy because <laughs> of the pandemic right now, but you get, the, you get my drift. Yes, you definitely. And, 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 that's what, and that's what's going on right now with the Internet. Sorry for such a long No, no, I appreciate it. No, I, I appreciate the answer. And uh, the final question I have for you is I'm trying to figure out what really drives and motivates people today. I just see people being a lot of uh, – they seem like they're driven by a lot of fear. or Maybe that's the driving force of action. But from your perspective, being in the broadcast industry for so long, what are some of the things that you find that your listeners are most concerned about today? What is driving them right now? Driving them. Uh, well, uh, what you just said was the answer to your own question. Oh. Fear, fear, fear is a gigantic motivator. Um, what to fear and whom to blame? That's the <laughs> that's the that's the formula. Oh, who, who do who do I fear <laughs> and whom should I blame? Um, the blame game. Um, look, it's a much bigger world. It's a much bigger country and it's a much bigger world, this thing called humanity, than just whether a person's a Democrat or a Republican or they like Sean Hannity or they listen to NPR. So uh, I have to say that. But if we're going to deal within that realm of existence, the talk radio realm, the realm that I cover in talkers, um, I think that people – uh, enjoy being part of a team. I think that there's a big similarity between political uh, news talk radio and sports talk. Only in sports, it's make-believe, it's fantasy. Some people take it very far, but it's still, you know, you could be uh, from Boston and hate the New York Yankees, but you don't want to go to war against New York. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. don't, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to hurt people. You know, it's it's a game. Uh, we have this similar thing happening with politics, and um, people have their egos invested in it to a large degree because they've argued for a couple of Thanksgivings in a row with their crazy uncle at the table, and they don't want to be wrong. So what I think is at the bottom of it all is that we're at a time in our culture where we are focused on achieving victory at whatever the argument might be victory even at the expense of truth and i and i think the answer to the problem is that we have to start becoming truth oriented like if you were to say to me well do i agree with sean hannity or do i not agree it's it's irrelevant whether i agree with sean hannity or not i happen to like the guy personally he's a wonderful guy personally i think he's good for the radio business and i super nice I, too I, yeah super nice i like him very much as far as his politics is concerned ultimately it comes down to whether or not he's telling the truth or maybe more specifically ryan i should say He's telling his truth. If you set out to deceive, if you, if you know what you're saying is not true, but you're telling your listeners what they want to hear, even if it's not good for them, because it's good for you to have them like you, then you are a liar. And I do not support you whatsoever, even if I don't know whether or not you're a liar. But if that's the reason you're doing it, you're a liar, and I don't support you, even if I agree with what you're saying. You, that, but if you're saying it because you're deceiving and you're lying, no good. 
if in fact you believe what you're saying, but it's not true, well, then you're just guilty of being wrong. And there's a huge difference between being wrong and being a liar. You follow? (laughs) And that's what it comes down to. As long as everybody in a position of power and influence pursues their own truth and doesn't try to deceive their audience, even if it's entertainment, you know, if Orson Welles believed that he was going to create panic by doing War of the Worlds, then he was a liar. He was a deceiver. You can't say, well, if they're stupid enough to believe it, you know, they deserve it. Um, And and that's my code uh, of, of figuring out a way to navigate my own experience being in this business because I choose not to be a Democrat or a Republican or a left or a right, but rather to defend the right of legitimate businesses and people to be able to conduct these conversations and, and, and share their opinions without fear of government censorship. Beyond that, hey, have fun. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wide open, and nobody's being shut out of the conversation. Nobody is. And, and let the marketplace determine it. Because if, if what you say is really good, and what you say is really true, and what you say is really entertaining and alluring, you will build an audience. If not, you have nobody to blame but yourself. Because, um, you know... The world doesn't owe you a living. The world doesn't owe you even a a soapbox. It only owes you freedom from persecution, prosecution, censorship by the government. Well said. Michael Harrison, thank you so much for being with us today. And Michael is founder and publisher of Talkers Magazine, talkers.com. I've learned so much from Michael over the years. I consider him to be a great teacher. And uh, we're here because of uh, him. Michael, thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. Okay, everyone. That concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of the Truth. Special thanks to our amazing guest, Mr. Michael Harrison. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Constance Dellis, and Ms. Lisa McGarity. To learn more about the Outer Limits of the Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace love and beers take good care and thank you so much for listening want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people want to be an expert on tv or radio goldman mccormick pr is a new york city-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law finance media and corporate-based clients Goldman McCormick PR also a specialist in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com.